From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. I remember when I left the White House in January of 2009, my husband and I said goodbye to the president at Andrews Air Force Base. And I remember putting my head back and I said, nothing I do for the rest of my life will ever be that hard or that important. And that has been true. Today, we're talking with Dana Perino, the Fox News host of the Afternoon Daily Briefing program and a co-panelist on The Five. Hello, everyone. I'm Dana Perino, and this is The Daily Briefing. Before she was on cable news, Perino had a lengthy career in politics, including serving as the White House press secretary under President George W. Bush. When the president says we're going to take all of this into account, he means that we're going to do something. We talked about her winding professional path, how she started off as a journalist, then left news to work for several prominent Republicans, first on Capitol Hill and then in Bush's administration. And we talked about how she came back, full circle, anchoring a show now at Fox. With Perino's window into both worlds, we discussed the state of presidential politics today, how this current Republican White House differs from her time in the Bush White House, and whether she'd ever find herself back in the West Wing. I would be very surprised, number one, if they called. Stay tuned for our conversation with Dana Perino. On the podcast, we'll be bringing you real talk with women bosses, asking how did you make it? And what advice would you give a woman looking to lead? If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram at apalmerdc. Women Rule is produced by Politico in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. And now, our interview with Dana Perino. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are here with uh, you at Fox News' offices in New York, in your personal office. I know. It's not the most uh, glamorous setup, but it's home. <laughs> it's good. We got a lot of books. A lot of dresses. A lot of dresses. If you, if you have seen New York City apartments, you would understand that if you have to have a lot of different dresses for television, it's good to keep them here at the office, along with my shoes. Yes, I, I like it. Well, I want to start off with a question I get a lot, and actually we were talking about my day. Um, <laughs> Uh, what is the day in the life of Dana Perino? Tell us. Uh, you've got the daily briefing. You have a show you've been doing that's almost a year. You've got another one that you serve as one of the five panelists on Fox News's roundtable series, The Five. And you've got a podcast. You're writing books. I mean, how do you find enough hours in the day? I remember when I left the White House in January of 2009. And on that day, January 20th, my husband and I said goodbye to the president at Andrews Air Force Base. And then we went to Dulles Airport. And we actually got a car service. And I remember putting my head back and I said, nothing I do for the rest of my life will ever be that hard or that important. And that has been true. So that's, you know, 10 years now. Um, and whereas I, my day used to start at 4 a.m., which you know a little something about that, um, when I worked at the White House. And, you know, we would work or be aw- awake or studying till 10 p.m. Like those days are long behind me. Um, right now, I feel like I have a pretty good setup. Like for television, if you're going to work in television, I have great hours, actually. So I get up between 5.30 and 6, but that's sort of natural for me. I don't need an alarm. I grew up on a ranch, so waking up with the sun is just natural. And I start to read a ton. And um, 
Fox News has a great service of uh, I call I still call them clips. Clips, yeah, um, that's exactly what I'm thinking. The, that's a little bit old fashioned, <laughs> but um, the clips come uh, before I wake up, and they're broken down into different categories: uh, foreign policy, Middle East activity or actions, uh, domestic policy, and editorials and columns, and I read all of those. I, of course, read Playbook. Then I hunt around at different places. I have a circuit that I do. Um, I like to check uh, National Review, Weekly Standard, Commentary. I get the Huffington Post newsletter, so I glance at that. I get the need-to-know newsletter thing because sometimes, for me, one of my blind spots is pop culture. So that's how I start my morning. Um, I do take a break between 8 and 9 a.m. for a little exercise. I remember Condi Rice one time explaining that human beings can't make any good decisions if they don't have some sort of way to burn off energy. And that's true. So I have made a commitment that 8 to 9 is mine. And that's when I figure out a way to do some exercise. Before then, I've already emailed with the Daily Briefings producer. And then between 3 and 4.30, I try to eat something, and then I turn my attention to the 5. And the 5 has been on air over seven years. I want to go back in time a little bit. Uh, you grew up in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. You went to college in Colorado. Talk about, were you always a conservative? How did you find your kind of mooring in politics that way? You know, I, growing up in Wyoming and Colorado, I think I was just surrounded by people who thought about small, small government and sort of the, especially in Wyoming, the leave me alone. Like, we got this. Uh, lots of patriotism. Uh, my grandfather was a county commissioner, a Republican county commissioner. But I did want to be a journalist. Um, when I was in high school, I was on the speech and debate team. But I mostly did extemporaneous speaking. That is actually the number one thing that prepared me for everything I have done since. Because in extemporaneous speaking, you study up on current affairs, and then you get to the event, you choose Pick one out topic hat. out of the hat, yep. and you have 30 minutes to research, write, and memorize, basically, a five- to seven-minute speech. That's exactly what I do now. So I went to college, and then I ended up at graduate school, public affairs reporting, and I had an opportunity to work at the CBS affiliate. The call letters were great, WCIA. (laughs) Uh, Springfield and Champaign, and so, like, the Peoria area. Mm -hmm. And it was 1995, January 95. And if you think back, that's when the Republicans had just taken back not just the congressional houses, the House and the Senate, but the state houses all across. Republicans won everywhere that year. The big wave. So I get to cover the Capitol. And they have a Republican governor for the first time in a long time in Illinois. And there's all these exciting things happening. And I was really surprised about how Republicans were spoken about in the newsroom and a little dismayed. And I thought, well, this is really unfair. I also wasn't really cut out to be in uh, local news like that. I thought I was. I thought I would love it. I couldn't see a path ahead. Back then, the three networks had the three same men as the anchors that I had watched since I was a kid. I didn't see how do you succeed, and I had ambition. Like so, how do you? I was trying to figure out how do you do this. And I remember calling my dad and saying, "Uh, "I think I just got a graduate degree in something I don't want to do." And he said, well, let's come pick you up and come home and figure it out. So I went back to Denver. I started waiting tables at Governor's Park Tavern. And there was a job offer um, at the 
deputy press secretary for the state senator. His name is Tom Horton. And remember Tom Horton from Days of Our Lives? Mm-hmm. I keep looking at you like you would know that, but I know you're younger than a lot younger than me. But um, Tom Horton from Days of Our Lives. But I was, oh, um, maybe I could do that kind of work because I've done journalism. I like p- p- current affairs. And at that time in 1995, I was, I don't know if I ever, I, I hadn't voted. Uh, I had voted. I had voted for George H.W. Bush in 92, 91, 92, 92. And, but it was close call for me because like it was exciting. Bill Clinton came to Pueblo, Colorado, was walking on sunshine. But there's something about me. I was like, but, but I don't think I'm for that. Anyway, um, I called a congressman that I used to interview all the time when I was at college in Pueblo, Colorado, Scott McInnes. And I called his office and I asked the chief of staff, would it be possible for me to use Scott McInnes as a reference? Because he used to be in the state house and he knows Tom Horton. And they said, oh, are you looking for a job? Like, we need somebody to come here as a staff assistant, you know, as a first job. And I thought they meant in Pueblo, Colorado. And I thought, oh, I'm not going back there. <laughs> it's over. No, 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 no. I'm not going back there. And they said, no, it's in Washington. I was like, oh. And I wrestled with it because at the time I thought, if I don't do this television work now, I will never get to do it. Right. I thought that it was door closed on other opportunities. That if you decide to go into to work for government – that's going to be your life, obviously. And for any young woman listening, that is not true. But that's what I that's just what I thought. And I slept on it for three days. And I remember uh, learning that if you pray about a concern that you have or a question you have, you pray right in between when you're awake and right before you fall asleep. If you pray right in there that when you wake up, you should have the answer. I learned this in church a long time ago. Did it work? And it came up to me, and I, I, I tell, I'm telling you, I woke up in the morning, and I was like, oh, I'm going to Washington. And around that time in 1997, um, to be honest, like the Republican leadership at the time was, for me, not in keeping with how I thought I wanted to live my life and, and things that I believed, and it was quite disappointing. That, whole, that was the whole time, right? Monica Lewinsky, and then all the things that happened with the Republicans— a lot of scandal. After that, right? A lot of the scandal. hypocrisy. Yep. And I couldn't believe that the women's groups didn't stand up for Monica Lewinsky. I was so disillusioned and upset. And Mindy Tucker, do you know Mindy Tucker? Mm-mm. She worked for Sam Johnson, but she was going to go work on Governor Bush's re-election campaign in Texas for his gubernatorial election. And I said, oh, I hope he runs for president. And so she always kept that in mind. In 2000, she contacted me um, and said, could you work for us in California? It has to be for free. At the time, with my life circumstances, I couldn't. And I hung up the phone, and I was crying. And my office mate said, what is wrong? And I said, well, now I'll never get to work for George Bush. <laughs> and look what happened. And like, life changed a lot. So, yeah, that was a little bit of how I ended up being, you know, when, when George W. Bush said compassionate conservative, I was like, oh, that's me. And I understand now, looking back, why the adjective offended so many conservatives. But I also think from a branding standpoint at the time, in order to be different and separate from what had happened in the late 90s to a, a new dawn of the Republican Party, that, was, that it was an important way to brand it. That was revolutionary mm-hmm. at the time. So you worked as a spokeswoman in the Justice Department and then went to the White House to work in the press office and later succeeded Tony Snow as mm-hmm. press secretary. Talk a little bit about what the biggest challenge was for you in that role. 
as press secretary. Yeah. Um, I did have to learn a little bit about what it was like to go from being the deputy to being the principal. When I first took over, I was asked, who did I want as my assistant? And I said, I don't need no assistant. I've been doing this myself for years. And they said, no, you. And you know what? It was a different job. I'm so glad I had the deputy job because if I had not been the deputy, I would not have been able to do the principal job. And actually in my uh, book and something I tell young women all the time is always take the deputy job. You might have to work holidays and weekends, but that's how you gain the trust of the boss. It's how you learn a little bit like, you know, doing the event on Saturday night. It's like a fun event is not as high stakes as a big policy speech that you have to work on. Um, and that's how I got to know President Bush, and he uh, gained confidence in me. So I would say that was the mindset that I had to accept a new leadership position. I was no longer you know, in the background. I was happy to be behind the scenes. I really was. Talk about that, though. So when you have such a public-facing job, which you've now had for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of criticism that goes along with that, uh, everything from how you actually do the job to how you look to what you're wearing. How do you handle that criticism? Not looking at it is important. I also think that if you're in a high-level position and you've got to focus on something, but you're worried that underneath, like behind the scenes, online, there's criticism of you, assign a friend or a staff person to look at it for you. And only like the really big stuff, bring that to me. Other than that, I don't want to see it. Um, But I would say that 2016 was really different for me. Um, The election, the primary, everything was tough. And somebody asked me about uh, how do you deal with it when, you know, somebody says something's fake news, but it's really not fake news. And how do you handle that at the network? And, you know, if you're asked about, about something. And I said... You know, it's been interesting for me and hard for me because they used to call me America's sweetheart, and now they call me America's ex-wife. And the criticism was really coming from a lot of people that turned out not to be people, and I didn't know that. It was the Russian bots. And it's interesting to me the psychological warfare that the Russians figured out to how to take influential people off the battlefield. And it was actually Eric Schmidt of Google who took me aside at a conference one day and he said, you have got to stop thinking about these as your fellow Americans. They're not. And when Twitter and Facebook purged that first set of fake accounts and the Russian bots, it all went away. And I thought, I cannot believe that for almost two years of my life, I was letting these bots undermine my confidence, um, trying to muzzle me. Women, I think, are different. They, they're, I think it's they, harder. You take it a little bit more personally. I think that's right. But it's not just limited to women. I mean, at this conference where I won't mention who it was, but I did a, a little presentation with um, a Democrat uh, who's like 45. And after I had said what I just basically told you about the Russian bots, he chimed in and he said, if you don't think that this can affect a 45-year-old man and not make him feel like he's 11 years old on the, on the playground being bullied, you're wrong. And his voice cracked. And the room was silent. And you know what's interesting? People who work in cybersecurity, when they hear personal stories like that, they're shocked. They don't understand the personal toll it took on a lot of people. Hmm. Well, I wanted to ask you, so after you leave 
obviously such a high profile. You talk about kind of leaving the president for the last time yeah. with your husband. Uh, did you struggle with what the next step was? Sure. I mean, I feel like everybody does, right? You're going a mile, you know, a thousand miles a minute, and then all of a sudden kind of like the dance stops. Right. And so Nicole Wallace gave me really good advice, um, but it was a little later than I would have liked to have gotten this advice <laughs> because it was really good advice. When you first leave, I took a break. Um, Peter and I went to Africa, and we um, volunteered at a PEPFAR site for a couple of weeks. And then we did some safari stuff as well. We came back, and I had some things in place. I, um, Because I'd become the principal, I had the opportunity to join a speakers bureau. I signed up uh, to work part-time with a PR firm, which for everybody out there, that's ridiculous. It actually never works out that way. It's always <laughs> full-time, so don't ever fall for that. I will never do that again. Um, and Fox gave me this opportunity to be a contributor that turned into the five. And then my husband and I have this chance and a challenge to move to New York City. Having grown up in Wyoming and Colorado, I never thought I would live here. The first year was frantic. The second year, I hated it. But a friend of mine said, no, I want you to love New York City. And he suggested I start to get at home the New York Post. He said, it's the school newspaper. you got to get it. Okay, so I did that. Um, now I get it at the office. Um, I started being, going to a few different things. I also started to realize you don't have to accept all the invitations. You can actually have a normal life here. And you can figure out a way to get groceries. And now, having been here seven years, I don't want to go back to Washington. I love it here. So that's different for me. That's, yeah, a professional journey and also the yeah. personal journey at the yeah. same time. So talk about, did you have doubts? I mean, you go from being a contributor kind of responding to questions, you know, by anchors yeah, to sure. saying, I I had okay, I'm going to like take, yeah. the, take the lead. I had doubts. In fact, when I went to see President Bush, I, you know, I did his uh, book tour, PR, mm -hmm. and I went to see him one time. And I was still with that PR firm. And he said, what's wrong? I said, nothing, sir. I'm fine. He goes, nah, something's wrong. What's wrong? And I said, well, okay. And so I tell him that I don't love working at the PR firm. And he said, well, why don't you start your own? I said, well, and I had 100 reasons why I shouldn't and couldn't. And he said, yeah, none of that's persuasive to me. He said, ask yourself this. What's the worst thing that could happen? He said, you were the White House press secretary. You're an educated American woman with a loving husband, is the worst thing that could happen is your business fails and you have to go back to work at a PR firm? He said, that doesn't sound so bad to me. And he was right. So I did. I started my own. And I learned a little bit about growing a business. And right at the time when, let's see, right at the time when I was either going to have to hire more people or cut back, the Fox News called and asked me if I wanted to do the five. And I did the little prayer in the, in the gap. <laughs> um, and my husband said, congratulations. And I said, what are you talking about? It's for six weeks. It's in the middle of the summer. It's in New York. I'm not going to be here. What about my dog, Henry? And he said, but Dana, this is what you always wanted to do. And he was right. And so for the first time in my life, I feel like this is the only time when I haven't been chomping at the bit to figure out what's next. Like this is this is it, and it's it's a great time to be in news. There's certainly no shortage <laughs> of things to cover. That is for sure. Let's talk about your show, The Daily Briefing. It's often during Sarah Huckabee Sanders' White House briefing. Uh, probably no surprise for how it got its name. Yes. Uh, how do you think she's doing? How would you grade her performance? 
Well, I, I never grade anyone's performance. Um, one of the great things about being a press secretary is that we all have this really great fraternity of former press secretaries. And it's a special group, a very special group. So I'm proud to be a part of it. Um, and now that Ari Fleischer and I see each other time, that's great. I'm very close with Marlon. Uh, Josh Ernest and I became very good friends, uh, friendly with Robert Gibbs. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some others. Joe Lockhart and mm-hmm. I uh, connected over the NFL stuff. Um, and so I think Sarah represents her boss very well. Uh, we all know that the press secretary's job is really hard. Hers is probably harder than most. I do wish that um, she felt like she could have a little bit more fun in the job. Um, I do think she's actually a cheerful and joyous person uh, off camera, right, when she's not having to be on stage. Uh, she's charming and funny. She's got a lovely husband. This is the other thing I can't imagine. I didn't even have to take care of a houseplant. And she has three children under the age of five. Young. She's pretty amazing. Talk about that. Do you think there's a difference? I, I do. That, uh, and we talked a little bit about kind of being a woman in this in this job now. But I mean, how she's judged versus kind of some of the male counterparts and then predecessors. Oh, sure. I mean, of course. Like, look, if you are a guy that wears a suit, and the only thing that matters is your five ties that you have hanging on the back of the door. Tony Snow had the best briefing style. And the worst fashion sense of anyone I have ever seen. He had the five of the ugliest ties on the back of his door, <laughs> and he just rotated them out. Like he always looked great. Nobody ever thought about how about his appearance. But look, we have to accept it. Like we just women are different. People look at women differently, and so uh, she uh, she's probably not used to wanting to wear a lot of makeup. Like oh god, I don't want to put on a lot of makeup. But I think she handles that actually very well too. Mm-hmm. And. There's a lot of scrutiny that comes with this job. Of course, when Michelle Wolf had that horrible uh, takedown of her, that I know that Michelle Wolf was joking, right? But jokes come with a bite. Yeah, I think we actually wrote pretty aggressively in Playbook about, you know, singe not burn yeah. is something that, you know, is something to be admired. Right. Uh, so you've talked a lot about kind of your work with uh, President Bush, a man who revered the White House and the institution and kind of, I think, back and wanted to really instill the value of public service in all of us and how important that was. Especially after 9-11. Yes, absolutely. How do you compare that kind of leadership sense to what you're seeing in this Trump White House? Well, I've, I learned also from President Bush that you never know what your legacy is going to be. He used to tell me that, you know, Dana, in the last year of the White House, he read three books about George Washington. And he said, if historians are still analyzing the first president, then the 43rd doesn't have a lot to worry about because he'll never know what it's like. Um, And I have learned, obviously, there's always comparisons. Um, And in fact, those first two years after the administration, I felt like all the questions that I got on Fox were just comparing uh, policies or decisions and style to Obama. Um, There's no doubt President Trump is unprecedented. He's different. And the voters said, we want somebody to go in there and shake things up. And that's what he's done. And if you look on the ledger, and President Trump obviously is frustrated that people don't look at it and say, he said he was going to do these seven things. He has done these seven things. Even in the anonymous op-ed in the New York Times, the one sentence that sticks out to me is, under the Trump administration, the country is safer and more prosperous. Okay. So what else are you looking for, right? But his style does rub a lot of people the wrong way. And I've just learned to not let it affect me so much. Each president can be judged on their own merits and 
That is true for 43. So it just goes to show that you just don't know how history will judge things. Mm-hmm. Talk about the transition. So you're kind of on the behind the podium. Now you're at Fox. There's always, I think, a lot of disconnect between where people who are kind of PR facts and, and, and kind of going at the media versus kind of being in the media, how decisions are being made. There's a lot of kind of skepticism of, you know, and, you know, bias or other. How, yeah. how have you seen that play out here? You know, I'm, I'm always, I always feel like blaming media bias is a weak excuse for not be, being able to win an argument. And I try also to remind people that reporters have a job to do. And they're trying to turn in stories. They have a boss. And that's why I said that I always try to respond to them as quickly as I can. I really love the fact that on the daily briefing, I feel like people think that they can get a fair shot on the show. I don't interrupt people. <laughs> I also understand Washington very well. So the questions I can ask are super pertinent. Um, and you'll see, I don't know if you ever had a chance to watch the show, but yeah, a lot of members will say, well, Dana, you know how it is. And then they'll go on to answer as if that gives them a little bit of comfort to be able to come on the show and there's nuances. Things are not black and white. Um, so I've enjoyed that part of it. Um, I think the hardest thing for me still is the energy. And I have to remember, too, that this is also entertainment. Yeah. And on the five, when we first started, I was so reluctant to give my opinion about anything. I had not ever given my public opinion. Or, I'm sorry. I had not ever given my opinion in public because I always, I always spoke for someone else for 18 years. Like, who cared what I thought? I wasn't the president of the United States. I could tell you what he thinks and how he got to that decision and what he's going to do tomorrow and why he decided to go to Michigan instead of Minnesota. I can do all of those things. But you asked me what I think of the legalization of marijuana, and I could clam up. Because I don't – I had to think about it. And I had to get comfortable expressing it because as soon as you start expressing your opinion, that's when the criticism starts. Mm -hmm. So I really credit my colleagues here, uh, Greg Gutfeld in particular, who I sit next to on The Five, who – Help me, mostly through humor and making fun of me, uh, <laughs> to get to the point where I could do that. Uncomfortable. One issue that has come up on this podcast a lot uh, over the past year is something that's happening in society, all in kind of conversations in private and in public, is about kind of the Me Too mo- mm-hmm. movement, sexual harassment in the workplace. Is this something you've faced in your career? Have you had a Me Too moment? This is very interesting to me. Um, I've worked on Capitol Hill. And in media. And I'm very fortunate. I've never, ever had a moment of sexual harassment. There was one time when I worked in the private sector in San Diego where I found out that a male colleague was being paid $5,000 more a year than I was. And I was outraged by that because we were doing the same exact job. And I, I knew I was doing it better. And I was so mad. And I went to my boss the next day. And he bumped me up right away to that salary. That that was something for me that I was like, mm, no. So that for me, but that was not acceptable. Uh, but from a sexual harassment standpoint, it had never happened to me. I know that it's real. Obviously, this is happening. What's interesting is sort of Fox sort of goes through it first, but it certainly wasn't the last, and it certainly wasn't as the most egregious. Um, and I, one of the things I appreciate about this company is how, well, like with you, like you, you have to put out a, a product every day. And you don't have time to sit back and think and do a focus group and talk to all the like you. The, the leadership of the company came together and really pulled through to the point where a lot of young women, I say, come to see me. Two years ago, two and a half years ago, the questions were, how can I leave? And now they're, how can I get ahead here? So like that's that's a lot of progress. I think that 
you see the energy of the number of women candidates out there is in fascinating and exciting. There will be more women in elected office across the country, no matter what, after November 9th. It's pretty exciting. So a lot of things are happening that are wonderful. I don't think all the problems are solved. I'm not naive in that way. And I think that um, with women in more leadership positions at these companies, it's going to change as well. Well, you all have uh, a woman, Suzanne Scott, yeah. now, uh, who's running things over here as the new CEO. Have you seen any kind of specific sure. changes that sure. she's brought to the yeah. newsroom? Yeah, like well, one I think, and I would I would credit the Murdochs with this as well. Um, immediately after Roger Ailes left, Twenty um, First Century Fox brought Fox News in line with all of its benefits packages, and that was just a real lift for employees. It included paternity. Right. So you could have like moms and dads could get a chance to be with their kids uh, when when they're born. Um, There's been some facilities changes like um, uh, just frankly, like places to eat. They've redone the entire newsroom. My studio is brand new. They're redoing Studio D. Like just facilities wise, things are better. And so I really admire what she's done. And I think that you can see the benefits of it. And she's also going to have to, you know, as a CEO, not only not only are you responsible for the reputation of the company, but you are supposed to look 5, 10, 15 years ahead. And this industry is changing very fast. So she is overseeing moves like, for example, Shepard Smith and uh, another young one, Carly Shimkus, are doing the new Facebook shows. <laughs> that, that's the dot, dot, dot. Who yes, knows, I right? Mean, <laughs> honestly, that's the, that's the truth. Well, before I let you go, I have to ask you probably a question you get all the time. Uh, if the White House called and offered you a job, would you take it? Well, I feel like I passed my prime, right? Um, Those White House jobs are really hard. And, you know, the president doesn't seem to trust people who worked for George W. Bush. And so I would be very surprised, number one, if they called. I would certainly take the call and I I would listen. But I tell people I only wanted two jobs. Ambassador to Tanzania or the director of the National Park Service. Those are the two that I would really, really want to do. And I don't think they're going to call me for that. (laughs) (laughs) Only time will tell. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. I loved it. Thanks. Women Rule is produced by Rena Flores. Dave Shaw is our executive producer. And our booker is Jessica Andrews. If you're a fan of the show and you listen on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. And one last thing. If you have any thoughts about who we should feature on Women Rule, let me know. Tweet me at a Palmer DC, and of course, hit that subscribe button. And thanks for listening. <laughs>